welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Devril Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on, and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Welcome to DevCast. This is the first time I've done a podcast in a very, very long time, um, and probably my first podcast under Devil Smith. So I am absolutely honoured today, today to be joined by two powerhouse women in the estate agency world. So we have Ellie Rees, who is the co-owner and director of Brickworks, and we have Susan Gregory, who is an organisational development consultant with over 15 years' experience in the estate agency world. Now today, this is the first of our three-part series where we are going to be addressing some of the issues that we have as women in estate agency and, in fact, in in the world at the moment when it comes to career, growth, development, opportunity, um, etc. So today, which is part one, we are going to be talking about the gender pay gap. So Susan, Ellie, thank you for being here. It's lovely to have you in Devil Smith Towers. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for having us. No, it's, it's honestly, honour is all mine. So firstly, I, the gender pay gap is a really misunderstood topic. Um, and I would love for you guys to just explain a little bit about what the gender pay gap really is. Because um, I think it often gets confused with equal pay, which is very different. Um, yeah, so the gender pay gap, it is quite complicated and it does get confused uh, with equal pay, um, which to some degree equal pay does come into it, but actually what it shows is the difference in hourly pay between men and women within organisations. So what any organisation who employs more than 250 people has to do is add up all of the men that they employ, um, their total salary, um, and, and put that into an hourly figure of all of the men that they employ, and it gives you an hourly rate that each man within that organisation, as an average, earns. And then you do the same with the women in your organisation. So you say, we employ this number of women, their total salary is this, the number of hours they are contracted to work is this, and therefore their hourly rate is this. And there tends to be, in pretty much every organisation, a gap between the hourly rate of the men and the hourly rate of the women. And that's what the gender pay gap is. So it's not saying that people in the same role are being paid a different amount. It's saying although that, they also are, although they also are, <laughs> um, it's saying that actually um, the men are earning more. And what that tends to then show is that they're in more senior positions, that they're therefore in more decision-making roles, that they hold more power within the organisation, and that's where it kind of starts to become problematic. When you look at the data, for example, on on a mandatory pay gap report it has the figures as percentages as a mean average and as a median average and then below that it breaks it up into the quartiles so yeah. the lowest quartile then the mid the mid two quartiles and then the upper quartile and usually if you have a workforce say of around half women which most estate agencies for example do because that's the percentages mm-hmm. around yeah like high 40s yeah. 48 something like that um the majority of the women are sitting in that lowest pay quartile. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which means they're doing the support, they're, they're taking on the supporting roles, not the roles of influence. Yeah. So, on the basis that only companies that employ over 250 people yeah. have to sort of announce and declare those numbers and those figures, 
surely that slightly squiffs things in our estate agency world where a majority of those companies are going to be under that number. So it's very hard for us to be able to say how that sits within an agency, isn't it? It, it really it really is difficult um, and you know we've only got 20 odd organizations within the industry the industry that actually kind of qualify at that mm -hmm. level but they represent what a state agency looks like yeah they are the vision of a state agency and the smaller independent organizations you know I've worked in many different uh, state agencies and I've supported many different state agencies and actually you could pretty much take a lot of them and the structures are still the same and the processes are still the same from one of the big high street corporates to a small independent, there's a lot of similarities. So I think it's reflective of the bigger problem. I agree. And I think that those corporates have a responsibility because they're setting the tone. I mean, we look to them to some extent. Mm. Um, they're also so highly visible. But I think there's also probably some truth in the fact that many agents who start their own independent companies have probably cut their teeth. Yeah. And learned about the culture of a state agency, stereotypically speaking, within these other organisations. How many people do you hear said, mm -hmm. you know, well, I worked for X, Y, and Z before I set up on my own? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're coming to it, even if it's a smaller independent business, with all of these learned behaviours yeah. and expectations. So why is this such a hot topic now? I mean, we, we obviously we had the article that went out in Negotiator recently, um, trying to explain to agents what. Uh, what that gender pay gap is and there's a lot of talk around around this at the moment just generally across all sorts of different platforms yeah um, maybe it's something that I've just become more aware of recently myself which is why I'm noticing it you know yeah. a bit like when you go to buy a white car you suddenly see a white car <laughs> but I just feel a little bit like this is a really hot topic so why do you think that this is starting to come to people's attention I think it might be post-pandemic and the shifting landscape of the workplace in general um, because that's highlighted um, so many things that are potentially based in gender um, and also does it not feel that there's a rise to the surface of um, a dissatisfaction in general since the Me Too, Me Too movement? Um, yeah, I mean it's taken a while, but historically it's been quite fast. We're we're more open to having these conversations in an honest way. But I mean, flexible working is a big topic because of the pandemic, mm. and that that plays into salary and pay. But because we know that the pay gap got worse during the pandemic, and hasn't improved, and hasn't continued. improved, continued to increase in those big organisations that. Um, Susan's talking about. Yeah, and, and I think there's something there from a societal point of view as well, and I don't want to go too ideological about it, but like, you have if, to you read, <laughs> if you read something like uh, Fred, Frederick Leloux, Reinventing Organisations, he talks about the stages of human consciousness that we've gone through over the last 10,000 years from, you know, very primal ways of working and being a society through to kind of like um, where we are now as a, as a majority is kind of this achievement orange is what he calls it, of... Um, individualism and striving and getting to the top and all these kind of things and actually what people are starting to realize is that's not satisfying mm. it's not enough you can look at you know Maslow and your hierarchy of needs yeah. and these kind of things um, we, we as as human beings we crave more we crave to be making a difference we crave purpose and those ways of working aren't 
providing that. So as a consciousness, we're actually starting to go, actually, we need something different. You know, we don't want to be slogging out an estate agency eight till six. And then you, if you bring it into the context of a estate agency, you can also talk about, you know, is it Gen Z, Gen Z coming through now? What are their expectations? What are their demands? And they have a right to be demanding as to what their work life looks like. Um, and that's starting to impact things as well. You know, people who perhaps sacrifice to get to the top of their industry or their, their, their um, organisation are now questioning why the next generation aren't prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a societal change that's happening and it's an, it's an area that's bubbling away and it's, it's really interesting to explore. I think that this is linked, but we can edit it out if it isn't. <laughs> um, Esther Perel was talking to Lucy Kellaway, who works for the Financial Times. Esther Perel is a psychoanalyst, psychotherapist. And she talks about work. And they were talking about, um, well, there, firstly, there's the happiness cap, which means that there's this, you, have to get your, you have to not be in poverty to be able to be happy, yeah. uh, which means that there's a, a basic amount of money that an individual needs to earn to provide rudimentary wise for their family mm-hmm. etc but then there's a cap on that which then shows that the more you earn there is not a direct correlation between yeah. the happier you become it stops at some point mm-hmm. so you can carry on going with your millions and millions and it's not going to change anything potentially the opposite um what they were also talking about was um things like mental health and anxiety mm-hmm. and um individual um, diagnoses of things like OCD and and panic disorders etc mm-hmm. and how um, again because we're so used to looking at things myopically as in the frame of individualism as opposed to bigger issues you know you've not got anxiety this is what Esther Perel is saying you've not got anxiety you're just coping fine the best way you can in a world which has really massive social problems Mm-hmm. And that those two things are different, and I think that that ties in mm-hmm. because I do think that um, it's about us coming out of this period of eighties, nineties, nineties focus on the individual, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and back to back to um, I've done inverted commas there with my fingers, <laughs> um, a place of community, yeah. collective responsibility, collective conscious. You know, we care now that we buy our coffee from the local mm. chap down the road who's running an independent and his where his coffee comes from and is it sustainable and are the people who make the coffee being paid properly rather than just being oblivious to those things and going to Starbucks. Alexand- it's the same principle. Alexandra Tan, that comment is for you, <laughs> if you're listening. Or does she go to Starbucks? So what you're saying is is that we are becoming much more aware of, of the things around us, what is good, what is bad, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, and therefore the gender pay gap is becoming much more um, on people's minds as they become... Uh, more, more knowledgeable about the world around them. Yes, because it's not the pay gap it, ipso facto. Is it, it's that reflects the culture. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking about is, is it Mary Portas in fact that that calls it the kindness economy? We're know. just talking about different ways of valuing different metrics that aren't just the dollar sign. Yeah. And it's it's kind of it's almost you know it's an un- unraveling process of we've gone through a stage of. Um, 
wonderfulness and, and, and then again this is a Lulu thing all of these things are really valid they were needed at their time mm -hmm. uh, having you know capitalism and growth culture was needed at its time we wouldn't have been able to do half the 10 percent of the things we've done if we hadn't have done that but they don't serve us anymore or they're starting to not serve us so how can we look at what the next thing is it's great that we've been able to get women into work women to vote all of these things mm. are huge steps forward but now it's like well actually what are we carrying that no longer serves us and when you look at things like the, the you know, child care issues and older care issues and those things haven't moved mm, the yeah. same way that everything else has moved and so now we have the disparity where we kind of say women are expected to work and also do these other things and then that means that they have to work part-time potentially and I'm generalizing and that then feeds gender pay gaps so exactly it's a societal reflection what's that bit brilliant phrase work like you don't have children have look after your children like you don't work, work. Yeah. The impossible. The impossible <laughs> dichotomy nightmare of being a working parent. I mean, how significant is you know, the cost of childcare? There's lots of things going on at the moment, lots mm. of lobbying um, yeah. and uh, a, a huge movement with regards to uh, the discussion over the cost of childcare. I don't know if you've seen the thing that's been going yeah. on social media from yeah. the lady that shared her... Her, her cost of childcare yeah. in Germany, yeah. and it was something like eighteen hundred pounds for the year, and uh, compared to what we pay a in month. the UK, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, how important are things like um, you know the knock-on effect of of, of childcare costs, etc. You know, care costs, perhaps as you say, you know, you've got older individuals, people are living longer, people are needing to spend more time and more money looking after an older generation yeah. as well. How important are those things on the gender pay gap? And what's the influence they have? They're, they're critical because you, if you want to... So if we look at, again, going back to what the gender pay gap measures, you know, women in senior roles and having those positions of um, authority, although I don't particularly like that word, you can't necessarily do that if there isn't flexibility with that, if you're also expected to be covering childcare and older care. Um, and it does tend to fall on the women. So again, you have to look at the, the, the cultural side of that and go, what is our paternity and maternity situation? How are we making this um, as an, as, as as an organisation and industry? How are we driving that change and making um, more possibility for people to work in different ways? Because if you don't do that, then it is proven, and exactly as Ellie said, we saw it in the pandemic, it is women that will pick up those roles. And there is a kind of biological reason to that to some degree as well. You know, women are tending to be more caring and they will take those roles um, up. And that's OK. But we have to kind of allow that to or we have to have that discussion about why that might be. It's also about approach, isn't it? I mean, this does all speak to culture again. Like cost always speaks to culture, I think. So um, if you look at a Scandinavian organisation company like Volvo, for example, their approach, like their starting point is, is not even binary in terms of gender. Their starting point is who, who works for us in this organisation might at some point in their life want to have a family, irrespective of um, gender, sexuality, mm -hmm. whether those children are had biologically, naturally, you know, it's sort of the entire gamut of what family means and what it means to be a human being, which I think we're probably pretty open to as human beings. Yeah. And then they set their 
working parameters and therefore their salaries and parental leave and so on, access to childcare um, support systems around that. So it is ideological and it's, it's where you're starting from. If you're starting from an incredibly antiquated place, which looks like, you know, 2.4 children in a car and it's totally heteronormative and you're so closed-minded in the first instance, you know, the outcome is going to either feel radical mm. when it's not mm. um, or just be a harder place to get to. Yeah, I think that makes sense? That it makes perfect sense. And I think there's a point there, you know, we use the phrase, you, you can't see the water that you swim in. And so we look at how society is now, how, how our organisations are now. When we make a small tweak and it's felt like, oh my goodness, that's, no, that's you know, a huge shift that we're asking for. But actually, if you started with a blank piece of paper right now, what mm. would you do to, yeah. to, to, to allow everyone to flourish, which is surely what you want in an organisation. You want people who are able to deliver their best, be empowered, enjoy their work, because they are proven to provide more... Um, a, a better work-life balance, but also a better, a better profit, which is so important. We have to acknowledge that. You know, we're not here kind of saying well, let's be nicey nicey. There are there is so much research that says if you have women in senior roles, if you have people able to bring their best selves to work, you have a more sustainable and profitable organisation, mm. and that's hugely important. This is exactly what I was just about to say. <laughs> I, I do, okay, I do, and it's potentially cynical, but we're in business. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course. And, and actually, I met with somebody fairly recently um, who have put in... They're, they're trying to put these types of measures in and they are coming from a very antiquated background but way of doing things. And they were saying to me that one of the big challenges that they have is that um, more men are taking longer paternity mm. periods, but they're not taking a whole year. They're taking four or five months. And their challenge is that they can't fill those roles with a temporary person because it's only a four or five month contract. It's not like a maternity role where which is for a year, which you can fill. And actually that is one of their, their challenges as a business is how do we cope when we've got perhaps influential people or people of importance in the business that are taking on four or five months, justifiably so and, and, and brilliant that they can do that. But that, that is a balancing act for a business. But going back to childcare, and this is sort of personal, but also then universal, um, and goes to the Kate Forbes story of, you know, is she going to be Nicola Sturgeon's excessor? Oh, well, she's just had a baby, so maybe not. And the mm. furore that came mm. from that, and the idea that potentially if you have a child, you might be less, less ambitious as a woman or a man. I mean, I think on the contrary, but it's actually neither here nor there. It's just not even a question that should be asked. Mm -hmm. You might be a woman or a man who wants to stay at home with your kids for years or but rather and going back to your question of childcare, um it doesn't even need to be about time off i mean i was like chomping at the bits to get back at work mm. just because that's who i am and because i had accessible and really good childcare, and i could afford it it meant it's really about creating the infrastructure mm. for the people who work for you so that those um potentially risky decisions and precarious situations don't arise for people mm. I mean I, we're talking about I remember you know my mum being able to go back and study a part-time degree at university because there was a crash yeah and uh, well that you know that that was paid for by the state I mean we, we talked to our um uh the company the, the company that uh 
we we have our offices in at the moment we talk about childcare and they're all for dogs coming into work mm. on a daily basis but you talk about children <laughs> they like laugh I mean this is incredulous before what are you talking about having children in the building and it's like what do you you know how does the wor- world go round when most people have to work full time yeah. it's so true I mean it's what Anita Roddick did when she first started, started the body shop they had yeah. a crash yeah. It's what Microsoft do, you know, my partner used to work for Microsoft and he used to love it. There were children running around, it was a great atmosphere when you saw your colleagues you saw your colleagues when it was. in a different light when you you know, when you were talking about bring your whole self to work but don't actually, you know, be a parent. Um, it's ridiculous. And I think to your question of, or your comment about the organisation you've been working with, my kind of response to that is what a great problem to have. What an amazing position to be in. And you can also go, and what might the alternative be? We lose these people and it takes four, five, six months to recruit them and replace them anyhow. Yeah. So you can, you, it's all of these things of what, what we're looking at and how we're choosing to um, address the, the, the problems that we see. Are they problems, are they opportunities? What else might be going on? And actually also knowing that there is no straight line to any of this, right? We, mm. we are ecosystems we are individuals we are groups we are everything and and actually embracing that embracing the fact that some people will let you down some people won't come back some people will take off time some people won't and that has to be okay Mm. well it's messy it's messy (laughs) and human i mean sort of finishing up on this sort of topic then how do you know we employers um employees how do we go about in your opinion fixing this or starting to make the steps towards making an adjustment because it's not going to it's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight you know this is years of sort of indoctrinated views um so how do you both feel that we can start to make a shift The, the first thing i'll say on it is acknowledge where we're at and I think that's one of the kind of problems that we have because what we're doing and it's challenging right or, or how we're perceived as people who talk about gender pay gap and things like that or that we're trying to attack something or we're saying um, and, and people get defensive when you when or you that do we're that anti-men. or anti or all these kind of things and actually none of that is true and and we you know I love this industry it's given me an amazing life I've made amazing friends in it um, and I want it to survive, and I cannot see how it survives if we don't start to make some changes. But we have to acknowledge where we're at in the first place. We have to start to educate ourselves on what the gender pay gap is, why it matters, and what the future might look like, and then we can start to have the conversations. What's the huge resistance, though? The huge resistance is the status quo suits a lot of people. And so until those people, until those positions are populated by more diverse people and a different demographic and a wider range of people with different backgrounds and genders and sexualities and ethnicities it's still going to suit those people yeah 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 when we work with short-term metrics and short-term reward mechanisms which we do as an industry very very much you know monthly targets quarterly targets you're only as good as your last month all of that kind of thing you're not fostering um, long-term. long-term ways of thinking and change and until we start to and especially kind of you know our, our listed organizations um, until we start to go actually what's our survival in 10-15 years time and shift that leadership mindset which is incredibly difficult I have a huge amount of empathy and sympathy for our leaders who have sacrificed to get to the top and are now as I say querying why no one else is prepared to do it that's they have to look at 
you know, you're, you're, you're shining a light on things that they've done that maybe on reflection they, they wish would be different. Um, that's hard work to do, it's vulnerable work to do, but we have to start to do it. And as people coming into the industry or people, you know, applying for roles in terms of what we can start to do about it, look at the gender pay gap of an organisation if you're looking at working for somewhere that employs over 250 people and ask in your interview, what are they doing about it? It's not going to change overnight, but we, we, I expect every organisation to have a clear action plan that is fast paced. And if not, why not? And turn down a job if there's an issue. And turn down Don't a be afraid <laughs> to say no. I mean, I think this is the time for action, okay? And talk about putting our heads above the parapet all the time. <laughs> I understand that it is not without um, its risks and it feels daunting and um, anxiety inducing sometimes, but it's about politely saying no for the for these reasons yeah you have it's to very be. empowering but it's it's again that's taking on a collective responsibility you're saying i'm not just responsible for myself and my own kids and my own partner and me i'm also responsible for all these other people and i think that's um there's something really inspiring in that when you feel like i'm not doing this for myself i'm doing it for a cause you know for the right reasons you, you have to be that change you want to see and also it will be surprising how many people you then kind of wake up you know we, we, the conversations we have and people are they're, they're thinking it but they don't know how to say it or they're concerned about it they don't know what action to take bring it to the bring it to the table see how somebody responds they might not have the perfect answer but if you can see in them that they have a desire to get an answer that's great and then again if we kind of go back to the basics of it yes it's absolutely about um, driving that change but it's also if you if you want to work for a great organization and have a good career the stats tell you that you need to have a, a diverse leadership team in order for that to be the case so why would you want to work somewhere that doesn't have that ellie susan thank you so much for this morning it's been super super interesting i've i've, I've learned loads just sat here listening to you uh this is part one of our three-part series um so next time we will be talking about ellie's campaign for dear sirs and the eradication of it and we'll also be talking about glass ceilings so thank you very much thank, thank you, you. join the DS movement by visiting ds.devrelsmith.com and you will receive the latest Deadcast episode direct to your inbox.